What's up? Uh, not a whole ton. I um, my roommate is finally moving in this weekend after uh, three weeks, almost four, of me living by myself. So uh, that's going to be an exciting change. Uh, you have internet now. Yeah. Well, I have. So I have internet, but I don't have Wi-Fi because I don't know the password to our router. But I did buy an Ethernet cable. So I'm just jacked into the to the to the mainframe, I guess. Yeah, you're you're jacked into the. I mean, that's how you get that good internet, though. Oh, I have so I have like the worst news for you. What? I didn't hit record. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay because I didn't either. <laughs> oh, we have to salvage that out of the crag. <laughs> we are literally the dumbest sluts alive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's try this again. Hey. <laughs> hey. So we're, we're recording on our Audacity again, so if that first little bit sounded weird, that's why. Uh, but Blair's in a new place. Yay, everyone clap. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I've been in a new place. I have internet in my new place Yeah, now. but like you're, in a new, you, you're in a new place, but now you have internet, so that means your new place has officially been christened. That's true. Um, yeah, because uh, this router... Um, we did not buy it. It was given to us by someone else, uh, and it has a bespoke uh, password and like connection name. I don't know whatever it's called. I don't know either. So I I had to like drive to Target and buy an Ethernet cable yesterday. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> this is how it's gonna have to be. I am tethered right now. I do not have full mobility around my laptop. I'm like a common desktop desktop whatever desktop person. Uh, That's me, bitch. <laughs> I haven't felt the freedom of a laptop in three years, yeah. four years, five. Years. <laughs> I uh, the, the, my my laptop's last gasp was uh, my laptop that I got in 2011. By the way, its last gasp was earlier this year when I went up to Canada for that speed running marathon. Mm. Um, because I brought it as a practice tool, mm-hmm. uh, and then it literally wouldn't turn on ever again. It's sitting on top of my uh, my one of. My second dresser, because I have two dressers in my bedroom. Hey, hey, gamers, press up to pay respects. Press up and do. <laughs> yeah, so um, this is probably one of the f- first times I've used an Ethernet cable. Uh, so it's it's new and exciting. Um, but it's so stable. It is stable. That's that's a good thing. But yeah. um, the bad thing, can't walk around. Can't. I've been playing some. I've been playing some Smash Brothers, and I really need to get that shit on a wired connection. Oh shit! How's the Smash? I also have a Smash Brothers related story, but you tell me how the Smash is. It was. It's very good, and it was a much needed respite from th- this weekend from um, some personal things that are not going great. Yeah. Um, so being able to just sink my teeth into Smash and play like t- twenty hours of it yeah. was really good. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Um, I went out for drinks on Friday. This was when Smash Brothers and came out, right? On Friday? Yes. Friday came, Friday came out. Uh, I almost said Friday came out on Smash. Yes, but that's yes. true. <laughs> the new day of the week called Smash. Um, uh, and I, uh, we were just walking uh, to a brewery. Me and a friend of mine were walking to a brewery near, nearby, and we were coming in to put on an extra layer of clothes because it got really cold out. And one of my roommates, uh, not one, one of my, like, people who lived on the first floor, like, saw us come in, stepped out of his room to be like, hey, we're playing Smash Brothers in here. Do you want to play? And I'm, like, doing some, like, alcohol math in my head. I'm like, A, don't know you. B, bad at video games. C, also pretty drunk right now. So 
think that's not going to happen. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, I almost wish that I had taken him up on the offer. Um, had I been alone, I probably would have. But I was like, I have a friend with me. You know, I have to be kind of responsible for what she's doing too. Um, yeah. So. Uh, well, how do you know that friend wouldn't want to play Smash Brothers? because uh, she's also she was also <laughs> she also didn't know him. Uh, was very and drunk was drunk and, and bad, was bad at video games. games. <laughs> so, but it was it was. To be fair, we are all bad at video. That's games. That's so true. That's the human condition: is bad at video games. Um, yeah. yeah, it was pretty cool though. Uh, but yeah, uh, did not did not come to fruition. Instead, I had more beer. <laughs> so you know. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, hey. I have I have a proposition for you, Sarah. What's your proposition, Blair? How about podcast? What if we did podcast <laughs> right now? everyone it's your number one proto black swan podcast yeah i'm sarah i'm blair and fuck darren, and darren aronofsky. aronofsky is a bitch ass <laughs> punk motherfucker who i will <laughs> not a threat just a fact hey that is well okay <laughs> cut that out cut that out <laughs> darren aronofsky is a punk ass bitch motherfucker who i will slap clean across the face if given the opportunity yes yes there we go. There's something legal you can say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm uh, sorry. This movie just always makes me get extremely red, mad, and nude about Darren Aronofsky because, like, I just like some it. of Darren off some of, some of Aronofsky's most affecting work. If uh, I'm I'm referring to, of course, Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan are like Requiem for a Dream had like scenes and shots ripped from this movie. Like Black Swan is just torn whole cloth from this movie. Right. He like. He has gone on the record and said he has no, he has like, not, he did not base any of that on Perfect Blue, even though it's literally the exact same story. Sorry, I'm eating rice real quick. I was very hungry. Um, <laughs> I can tell you, you have rice mouth. I have rice in my mouth. Um, yeah, because I kind of just like when I took my food out of my out of the microwave to eat before the podcast, it was very hot and could not eat it. But now it's the perfect temperature to eat. Now we're podcasting. The forbidden fruit. <laughs> Um, oh my god. I'm just glad we were uh, on the same wavelength when we started this, which is to say fuck Darren Aronofsky. Fuck, okay, listen, I don't have an, to, to be clear, I do not have an issue with directors cribbing from, like, anime and shit, as long as it's like, you know, cite your work. Right, own up uh, to I, it, I don't, it's fine. Like every, I don't have beef with Christopher Nolan from, like, like, uh, uh, you've seen Paprika, right? Yeah. yeah, and obviously you've seen Inception, probably. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, there are scenes, like, ripped straight from Paprika in Inception, like, the whole fucking glass-shattering bridge thing that's in Paprika. Yeah. Like, that movie's whole setup is very much, like, but Chris Nolan, like, owned up to him, was like, yeah, no, I, like, I saw Paprika, and I was, like, really inspired to make this movie, and, like, it is, while dealing in very similar areas, it is a different story being told. Exactly, like, that's the thing, like, they're two 
they're two similar but distinct enti- entities, which like, is good. <laughs> whereas, like, whereas, like, with Perfect Blue, it's like you remember how back when Avatar came out, there were a couple of those images going around where someone like took like a, a Wikipedia plot synopsis of Avatar and like re- just re- replaced words until it became Pocahontas. Yeah. Like you can just do that with Black Swan and Perfect Blue. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I and this is to say I like Black Swan. Um, but that's because I also like Perfect Blue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think they're... I was like, it's a compelling story. I like the actors. Um, I would say that Perfect Blue is... Okay, I need a quick gut check. To you, is Paprika a horror movie? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I agree. I think it has a couple of horror elements oh, for to sure, it. yeah. The parade itself is, like, genuinely nightmare is a nightmarish, like, coagulation of horrible things. Mm-hmm. But it's not a horror movie. Because I was going to say, um, Perfect Blue is definitely, like, in my top five horror movies of all time. And I never list it because I always kind of forget that it classifies as a horror movie. It's right. more of a suspense thriller, but, like... There's enough it, like, gruesome it imagery, the line. you know, for being yeah. horror. Mm-hmm. So. There is some imagery in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, this um, is a visually striking that, movie. <laughs> yeah, before we get into that, we gotta talk about upcominghorrormovies.com. There's really nothing going here. Like, we got a new Godzilla trailer, which I haven't watched because I haven't seen the original Godzilla. Yeah. Um, Escape Room has officially been rated PG-13, so I'm not going to be seeing that movie. I mean, I'll still see it, but I know yeah, I now I know what too. to I expect <laughs> from it. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's still disappointing, though. Like, I want to see someone get, like, fucking flayed alive by an escape room machine, not just, like, some... Not actually flayed. I don't want to see that. That's, like... Flayed was the word that came out of my mouth, but it's not the word that came out of my brain. Yeah, I mean, Escape Room looks dope, but I want, like, a... I feel like it should have leaned more into like saw meets final destination sort of situation instead of which and you need an r rating for that like i know it's probably gauche of me to say so but i sometimes just want to see people gruesomely murdered (laughs) like sometimes you just want to see someone gruesomely murdered Mm -hmm. and like like i don't know like i don't want the torture levels of it which is why i can't like watch saw or hostile because like those movies are just like oh hey Let's watch someone like get the skin peeled off of their arm, or like. Oh yeah, fucking... it's it's like the worst kind of torture, which is to say. Yeah. Um, any torture. Well, yeah. I just want to see someone go up in a very gory way. Yeah. Um, head lobbed clean off, like immediately yep. liquefied. Uh, head cut in ha- head cut in half at like the eye line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Basically, all kinds of decapitations. There is nowhere you can slice the head directly through that I will not be happy. Just some like some sort of fun kind of instant death, you know. You can go full fruit ninja. No matter which way you fruit ninja someone's head, I'm gonna be happy. Oh word! No, that's legit. That's that's very real. Um, fruit ninja. Hey, remember that? <laughs> Turn back to- hey, here's here's one for you, Flappy Bird. Now, Flappy Bird is was is within the recent consciousness, but but fruit five Ninja? years. Five Flappy. years. When was Flappy Bird? I feel I was definitely. I was going to say twenty fifteen. I was in, definitely in college when Flappy Bird was a thing. Flappy Bird is over five years old. You are fucking with me. Real worldwide release of May twenty fourth, twenty thirteen. When did it go offline? It went offline in February on February tenth, twenty fourteen. That is fucking insane. I know. I was 
I was like, oh, for sure I was like a sophomore in college at that point. No, I was just, <laughs> I was a senior in high school. What? <laughs> yeah. Remember how, like, remember how people were selling phones with, like, Flappy Bird installed on yes, it? Yes, I do remember that. Um, I wonder if you can do that with Tumblr. <laughs> no. You definitely, did, have I said this as much on the podcast? I think I did. Deleted Tumblr off yeah. my phone. Can't get it back. Did not think about the consequences of my actions. Um, but I, I almost wanted to keep flapping. The consequence of your actions is that you're not hate-reading bullshit all day anymore. Well, now that I'm connected to the internet, I can still hate-read bullshit if I want to. Um, I'm not. Yeah, but, like, you you can't do it mobily anymore. That's true. Not while I'm on the go. Um, I remember keeping Flappy Bird on my phone for longer than I probably would have normally because it fucking sucked to play like it wasn't fun. Um... But just because it was like, oh, now I can't download this thing again. But then I, like, played it, and I was like, man, I keep dying really early because I'm bad at this, and it's not fun, so then I deleted it. Anyway, that's my really compelling story about Flappy Bird. <laughs> yeah. You enjoy hearing Flappy about Bird that? Truly was the, tr- Flappy Bird truly was the PT of our time. Well, I think PT was the PT of our time. I mean, yeah, PT was the <laughs> PT of our time very much so. <laughs> Flappy Bird and PT are two sides of the same coin. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Exactly. One, one one was shelved entire. One was deleted entirely due to corporate greed. The other was uh, removed because the creator had a change of heart about it and felt bad about it. Um. I was gonna say a really funny joke, but I forgot. Hey, let's get into this. <laughs> let's get into fucking perfect blue. So Satoshi Kon is uh, bar none my all time favorite director. I love all the movies that he's done. Um, Paranoia Agent is great. I haven't finished it. I'm still in the progress of watching it. Please don't call me out for being a fake nerd. But like Millennium Actress, Paprika, um, and uh, oh Tokyo Godfathers, and this obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, he did work on other stuff. Oddly enough, he did work on the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure OVA from like the '90s. Oh, interesting. Which I don't I, I don't know if you know anything about it, but uh, if you've by any chance ever seen that video of like the weirdly animated JoJo thing, where it just says, "Yeah, gotta get closer to Dio so I can kick your ass." I've not, but now okay. I know about it. <laughs> There's a very bad English dub, but it's like it's just it's just this strikingly animated thing that like Satoshi Kon actually wound up was like director on for the last three episodes of, and like now that having known that, like that makes so much more sense because so much of that like like that. The end of that that OVA uh, is very much like playing in the liminal spaces that Cone fucking loves to just muddle around in. Mm-hmm. Like Satoshi Cone's entire body of work is: Are you in a dream? I don't know. It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, Paprika was that in a very literal sense, but like Millennium Actress had a lot of phasing back and forth between like what's real and what's imagined and what's presented. The same is true of Paranoia Agent, and the same is especially true, true of, of Perfect Blue. Yeah, Perfect Blue. Yeah, there. I feel like there's just like a, there's like a watershed moment in Satoshi Kon movies where it's like, okay, past this point, you don't know if this is a dream or reality for the from here until probably the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I always love those watershed moments because that is when Satoshi Kon just fucking goes nuclear on this shit Mm -hmm. no it's awesome it's really fun um because this is also this is also notably uh the one the one directorial thing that uh satoshi kone did not do in collaboration with susumi hirasawa um actually i don't know if that's true because i don't think i don't think hirasawa did tokyo godfather either but i digress i only mention this because susumi hirasawa is the composer who did the soundtracks for paranoia agent 
uh, and Millennium Actress and Paprika, and all three of those soundtracks are gorgeous, and they make me cry. Um, he also did work on Tick on Kincreet, which is another anime movie that I fucking love, but that's not a horror movie, so that's... Sorry, I get really fucking excited about Satoshi Kon, and I, I'm kind of hard to shut up about it. Damn! Uh... <laughs> You write, you watch anime, huh? <laughs> huh? You watch an anime no, sometimes? Okay. So, so I bring up Susumu Hirosawa because I've always been of the opinion that uh, Hirosawa is phenomenal at like playing in the. He plays very much in the same liminal sort of dreamlike spaces with his soundscapes that Satoshi Kon creates with his filmography. They were really just a perfect pair of director and composer. Mm-hmm. I mean. Like the the soundtrack to Paprika is uh, is like the best example of this because everything about Hirosawa's music just feels so like floaty and ethereal and like just kind of on the liminal spaces of between reality and dreamscapes mm-hmm. and Hirosawa is just a phenomenal composer and I I kind of understand why he wasn't tapped for this movie because it was Kong's first directorial debut but I also would have fucking loved to hear Hirosawa's take on idol music yeah because I just really want that because you know the music from from uh, Paprika that I'm talking about yeah, like yeah. The, the parade and the girl from Biakoya mm-hmm. and all that such yeah um I've probably seen God, Paprika sorry. more than I've seen Inception, so yeah. <laughs> God, I I, so I wrote an essay on Paprika back in high school. <laughs> uh, but um, so yeah, this is the one. This is one of the. This is one of Cohen's projects that I uh, Hirosawa did not do work on. Um, and also Hirosawa is if provided. Uh, if, if the po- the posthumous uh, Satoshi Kon's Dreaming Machine ever does come out, Hirosawa is the the composer for that. I like to believe it'll someday. Do you know about Dreaming Machine? At I, I all, do Blair? not. This is the first time. Dreaming Machine was like that was Kon's like his not his that was like one of his babies that he just like he had and like he started working on it like he started like the production process very shortly after he was diagnosed with his cancer that he eventually died from. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer uh, shortly after beginning work on Dreaming Machine. Uh, 2010, May 2010, he was diagnosed. And then three months later, he passed away. And it was tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dreaming Machine has been uh, like... Masao Maruyama, uh, who is the who is the producer of who is a producer at Mappa, he is someone who is like basically Kon's dying wish was for uh, it was for Maruyama to finish Dreaming Machine to get people together to finish Dreaming Machine. It was his like it was it was Kon's swan song, mm-hmm. and uh, Mar- Maruyama has been trying fastidiously for these past like eight fucking years to get this made. Yeah. And uh, the last check-in in terms of animated, in terms of scenes was back in 2013, which was a count of 600 scenes out of 1,500 being animated. <sighs> Hopefully it doesn't stay in production hell forever, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, that would just be the saddest thing. Right. I... It... it... This is this is like this is a this is the thing that Cone like worked on knowing full well that he was going to likely die before its release or even in production of and for that to be this man like that would just be the ultimate I don't I wish he was still fucking kicking but like of all the ways for Cone to go out I think that's like for this to be his swan song would just be a really poetic thing yeah no for sure absolutely. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway, this came out in 1998, so... <laughs> yeah. 
a while ago. Uh, this was Con's. Uh, this was Con's. Um, like I said, this was Con's uh, feature film directorial debut. Like I said, he did work on the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure OVA before then, but this was his first time directing a feature film himself. Mm-hmm. He also worked on the script. Um, but uh, going forward, the only thing that the only uh, everything that sorry, everything that Cone. Every movie that Cone put out, he directed and wrote, and the exception being Paranoia Agent, because that was written by discrete writers, because that's how a 13-episode thing does work. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Perfect Blue. Mm-hmm. 1998. 1997. Sorry, 97. Well, July 97, February 98, depending. Yeah, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, so this movie centers upon... This movie centers on the uh, very famous idol known as uh, Mima, who I kept calling Mommy for like the entire duration of my note because I was just thinking, uh, I, I was just confusing her with the Pola Madoka or Pola Magi Madoka Magica mm-hmm, girl mm-hmm. Uh, of Mommy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm familiar. Um, yeah. No, this one's. That's right. You've seen you've seen like three anime. I've actually seen a lot of anime. I just don't watch them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> Um, yeah, we can oh. talk shop about anime, but just not anything that's come out in the past, like, decade. <laughs> um, uh, or five years, I guess. Well, the, I the, first, the, first shot, the, <laughs> the first shot of this movie is just, it always, like, the first, the opening scene of this movie is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. To me, like, this entire movie is phenomenal to me, and I'm just going to be nutting this entire episode, so apologies for that, but this is my fucking wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, the opening scene, which is, like, this Super Sentai Power Rangers bullshit happening at this, like, and, like, I remember seeing these things, like, when I was a kid, because they would sometimes come to, like, the local festivals and do, like, some Power Rangers-ass shit. Uh-huh. Like, this when I was very young. They don't do this anymore, but, like, I do distinctly remember seeing this shit, and that was in America, so I imagine it was a relatively common thing in Japan. For sure. But, um, so, uh, Mima, along with her two, uh, friends who... I don't even know or if they're given names. Um, I don't know. I don't remember if they are. Um, I don't think they are actually. Yeah. Um, they only have well, maybe maybe in passing, uh, but uh, they have like maybe five lines between the two of them. So yeah, well, and then they have a podcast. Later. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but um, so they do their they they do their song, and there are some like fucking street toughs posturing around the event, and there's also these uh, uh, these fucking hipsters that are just like constantly providing a framing device for like the, the it's not a framing device, sorry, it's like um, a surrogate for the public writ large and how they're responding to the ongoings of the idol industry, Cham, which was uh, Mima's former idol group. And how Mima has moved on from the idol group of Cham. And they're just kind of, like, there constantly every 15 to 20 minutes just to be like, ah, so this is what the public thinks of what's happening right now. Right, yeah. At the very the very dregs of society. <laughs> yeah. The absolute salt of the earth, these people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we also get introduced to um, a character who's kind of framed as our antagonist. Uh, yes. Uh, Mimania, who... Yeah. Um, who is this? This, uh, this motherfucker scared the shit out of me when I first. I saw this movie first when I was like 14 or 15, which is way too young to see this movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But um, that motherfucker scared the piss out of me when I was a kid. Because mm-hmm. 
because he's got like these. I mean, it, this is a this is a thing that's uh, uh, that's happening to a lot of the characters in this movie, and but um, he's got these very wide set eyes, which are very like un, which are like sort of unnerving. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit of an uncanny valley sort of situation. Yeah, um, yeah. The the like something about him just seems like qu- kind of like off of right, like kind of crooked. I guess is the best way to describe him. Yeah. The, there's an interesting thing about the character design um, because we get. Uh, Mima, who uh, it doesn't look like super anime or anything, but definitely has the most, like, uh, uh, kind of Aunt protagonist pr- protagonist, protagonist face, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we have everyone else who looks. Uh, I mean, you don't get same face here, which is a good thing. No. Um, no. And and character. It's interesting though because like none of them are dressed like really extravagantly. I, I wrote like a, I wrote a little essay uh, about Kaiji recently, which I in which I uh, praised. Uh, uh, FKMT for his ability to create these like character designs that look completely like natural background characters and would be background characters in any other story, but they just so happen to be the protagonists of this one. Sure. And I think that that's really what's happening in this. Like none of these characters, like uh, Mima does have a little bit of protagonist face, but like nothing about her is just like fucking screaming, I am protagonist. Hello, hello, I am protagonist. Yeah. Well, I think. Nothing about her design, rather. Right, yeah. Um, her. I, well, well, let me see how I'm going to phrase this. Um, I feel like the more trust, uh, the least trustworthy a character becomes or is, um, uh, the more uncanny valley their representation becomes. You know what I mean? Oh, that's that's 100%. So sorry for sorry for spoiling the end of it, but uh, Rumi becomes like completely uncanny valley at the end of this movie when it's revealed that she has been like the one killing everyone this whole time. Yeah, I think I've only seen this movie once and it was probably like three or four years ago, if not more. Um, so this that twist still got me. I was like, damn, who is it? And then I was like, damn, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, this is my first time watching this movie subbed. I've seen it about four or five times dubbed and the dub is not good. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, though, I was like, subtitles, what the fuck is that? Yeah, I don't want to read. I can't fucking read. <laughs> I used to be like that up until like some point earlier this year when I was like, well, I don't like subtitles, but it's the only way I can watch more Megalobox, so I guess I'm gonna watch Megalobox with subtitles. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm sometimes hit or miss. Um that, that's just sometimes things are good and sometimes things are bad. End of sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I uh I kind of wish I w- had a dub available for me because I was definitely doing other things. While I was um, watching, you don't wish you, Blair. Let me tell you, you don't wish you had a double bill available because this movie's dub is abject. Like there are some dubs that I think are bad but bearable. Like I think Cowboy Bebop, aside from like aside from uh, Spike Spiegel's voice of Steve Bloom, mm-hmm. um, like aside from that, I think that dub is between forgettable to bad. I think that's bearable. I think Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood has a pretty bad but bearable dub. This movie has an un. Fucking watchable dubber. I don't know how I got through it five times as a kid. <laughs> okay, maybe that's fair. But I, I, I kept finding myself, like, because just a map, like, a nature of, like, being a busy human being who works 40 hours a week. Um, right, no, I get it. You know, so, so I, I was, like, doing other things. Like, I was cooking dinner while I was watching this, and I would miss parts, and I was like, damn, I wish I was able to just hear what was happening in the background. But maybe I don't want to sacrifice that for, like, bad audio quality. That's totally going to take me out of the immersion of this. Because the Japanese voice acting in this is good. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. So, um... 
anyway, God, we got super off track. Um, so yeah, so uh, Mima's leaving Cham to become an actress, and um, her first role is uh, as like a minor character in this television drama called Double called Double Bind. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is a great name for a television drama, by the for way. For sure, yeah. It's like it's a it's a crime show, but it doesn't seem to be a crime procedural. It seems to be more like a mini series that's following one serial killer through all of it. I mean, to be fair, procedurals do sometimes have those longer form stories. Yeah, but this seems to be kind of like a one shot. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, at least how it's framed. I, I could be wrong. Um, obviously, there's. We only know as much as the the movie thinks necessary to tell us, and that's certainly an aspect of it that's like it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, she gets a really small. She gets one line because everyone's really worried about conflicting with her pop idol schedule. Um, but then her um, agents are like, "Oh no, she's now an actor full time, so she she becomes a, a larger role." Um, and at the same, and this 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 open the opening scene of this movie like makes me nut every time because there's just all these cuts going back and forth between like it's just like an effortless cut between like Mima like flipping her wrist over on the bus on the bus and then she does the exact same flip in the fucking dance number and she's back on the stage and then she like picks up a bottle of milk and then like she like and then suddenly that like action is like oh she's back up on stage and it's just it's it's good it's really good no, at it's good. it yeah it's good. <laughs> Um, all of it looks great. Um, and, uh, she also, around the time of her being in this, this role, after the whole intro bit, um, uh, she learns about a website called Mima's Room. Uh, and this is, uh, I feel like this came out, well, maybe 97 is justified. Um, she's later talked through the process of trying to log on. To the internet by um, uh, her manager, Rumi. Yeah, yeah. Her manager. I, I was wondering if. Funny enough, played by the voice of Ash Ketchum. Really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I would have never known. That's fun. Um, uh, yeah, Rumi uh, teaches her how to log on, and <laughs> we get her adorably. Um, uh, uh, Mima later just hand typing in um, HTTP colon slash slash the entire web address um i don't know did you have to do that whole thing i was born in 96 so i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean i was born in 94 so i really don't remember very much either mm-hmm. um yeah i remember my dad I, all i remember about that all i remember about the 2000 about pre-2000 is my dad telling me i'm not allowed to watch wrestling and him setting up my neopets account nice <laughs> um yeah and it's it's basically just like a well, what she finds is strange about it is that it seems to really, really accurately document what she's doing every day. Uh, the implication therein being that she has a stalker, which is not good and totally freaks her out. Um, yeah, uh, understandably. Under, yeah, completely understandably. <laughs> oh, also, sorry, we skipped over. A, we skip. I, I didn't get a chance to mention this, but there's a there's a shot that I'm just enamored by in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's when Mima is sitting at, like, the table trying to debate, when it's, like, the debate between Rumi and her, like, the other agent or whatever that she's working with. And it's Rumi sitting, like, kind of looking dour at the end of this kitchen table. And then, like, there's a vanity behind her with, like, a glass pane in front. And on both sides of her, you see the reflections of Rumi on one end and the, and the other agent on the other. 
and it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry, just the cinematography in this the movie. The cinnamon topography. Um, oh, shit. And is it, in, is it in the first scene where she's doing her line that um, she gets a letter bomb? Um, yes. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that her her agent opens. Um, or, yeah. And uh, uh, totally, it doesn't blow up his hand, really. It just, like... His hand. It does fuck up his hand, though. Yeah, but not like it's his hand isn't like gone now. It's still there. It's just like all bloody and like yeah, <laughs> a little fucked. Um, and and we see uh, that um, it's it says on the inside of it that this was just a warning, and next time there'll be a real one um, on on the letter. Terrifying. Um, yeah. Mima's just getting. Mima's not having a great time right now. She's getting. Yeah, Mima's having. Mima's having a rough one. She's having heavy breathing on the other ends of her phone calls. She's getting faxes that call her a traitor. Um, she's uh, she's having a hard time. Um, <laughs> poor, <laughs> poor Mima. Um, but she's she's poor fucking Mima. She's getting a bigger role in uh, Double Bind. Um, which yeah, much to great, the... great news, Mima. You're getting a bigger role. Oh boy, can't wait to do it. You're going to get raped. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, it's rough. Like I yeah, would not. This movie is. Hey, trigger warning I to don't... everyone. This movie gets really yeah, rough. huge trigger warning. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... the thing is, I normally hate any scene about sexual assault directed by a man uh-huh. I don't despise like this one is definitely viscerally upsetting and that is also the intent but also like this is a tipping point for me- the character of Mima well it's because I think it is I think it's directly um uh not uh, not satirical isn't uh uh critiquing exploitation yes, media absolutely you know so I I think there's a justification in it um, like, I mean, this is the weirdest poll to have here, but, like, do you remember back in, like, 2008 or whatever when there was that CSI CSI episode where Justin Bieber died? Yes. It's a very, it's, it's a very similar vibe on a different plane to me. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, the exploitation of celebrity that you see these high ups that you, like, you see these people so successful and you want to see them being brought down a peg for no reason other than you're feeling insufficient or whatever. Right. Um, it's also. I mean, this... to be fair, Justin Bieber did kind of wind up being like a shithead, but like. Yeah, it's also this thing we have a lot with, um, especially like Disney Channel celebrities, um, mm-hmm. where as soon as uh, it's it's like this, um, this like uh, the this this desecration of innocence, basically, as soon as they become an adult and are interested in experiencing it, like doing adult roles or whatever, you know, um, it's it's just. We have it. We you you symbolize something as an icon of purity, and it's and it it seems always like a dramatic shift whenever they want to move away from it. You can't just like, oh, I just want to do normal things now. Um, it has to yeah. be. Yeah, it's like you have you always have to go full Miley Cyrus. Right, exactly. Um, so again, Mima, she 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 has the worst time with this. She like yeah, because like this this is this is her tipping point because it becomes too intense for her and she is like completely unable to distinguish it from like an actual real life sexual assault. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this scene goes on. Yeah, it does. It's a good uh what would you say? Yeah. Uh, like I I think two to I, five think, I think I think I think an important quality of a director is trying to decide when a scene should end and then pushing it back another minute. Mhm. 
Like, it just makes the scenes, like, so much more tense and uncomfortable and just, like, jarring. Especially movies like this. I noticed it a lot in 10 Cloverfield Lane when I watched it last. Like, two completely different directors. But, like, the way that that scene... The way that that movie would just, like... This scene should end now, but we're going to extrapolate it. We are not going to just end at the denouement here. We are going to extrapolate it and make this entire thing play out. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and from this point onwards, we see a lot of overlap between um, Mima's, like, experiences and the show she's on and, like, what's being inferred from what and, like, how are things overlapping and, like... Basically a disillusion of reality because, you know, uh... That's the point, that's the entire point of Satoshi Kon's body of work. Yeah, um, yeah, and she's being, like, endlessly harassed and, like, people are, people are dying and she's, like, yeah. super traumatized. Yeah, people are dying in some fucking brutal ways. The, um, the, uh, the script writer who wrote the, who wrote Double Bind, he winds up dead in an elevator, just, like, slashed to pieces. Yeah, eyes gouged out, she... if I recall correctly. Yes, eyes, ent- eyes entirely gouged out and it's fucking terrifying mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um the uh the photographer there's a photographer who at one point took some like vanity fair ass photos of her yeah like i remember watching this movie around the same time that i think who was that was it miley cyrus who like there was that big stink about her like doing vanity fair shit uh maybe um because that was always a reference point for me with that scene for some reason i don't know if miley cyrus ever got her tits out but she could have no, but like that was like my that was like my birthday. No, but, anyways, but yeah, like, but it's guy, it's a similar sort of vibe. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, the uh, the uh, a, a, a mysterious pizza man shows up, is delivering for big body pizza. Oh boy, um, fuck mega <laughs> milk. It's big funny. body pizza. <laughs> it is big body pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and um, he gets stabbed to death. But the, the is that in the uniform? You know, it's oh, it's you know, it's Mima. You know, it's Mima. This whole time, I, because there's that scene that wound up on the cover of the DVD of uh, like a projector of showing her at like in double bind, and then like that is being overlaid on her face with the bloody screwdriver stabbing into the the cameraman's eyes. Damn, spoilers! DVD cover. <laughs> um, totally though. Uh, and uh, it's it should be mentioned that this whole time we're getting um, really uh, quote unquote cool hallucinations from Vima about she her seeing her um, her like her idol self yeah like, this, this ide- idealized like, version of herself the white long gloves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is just like her at, back as the idol who is like claiming to be oh I'm the real Mima you go live in the shadows but I'm gonna live in the light now because I'm the real Mima yeah um, she uh, Mima's losing time she keeps like. Um, thinking she's about to get hit by <laughs> she thinks she's about to get hit by a truck she wakes up um she uh finishes a scene um and she sees me mania and then she's and then she's like suddenly having a conversation with Rumi and then like she's back doing the scene and then she wakes up and it's just oh yeah even her even at the very end like all of her fish that she originally she recently found to be deceased like they're well, no, that's not her room. Yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think what's uh, one of my favorite instances of that is that um, there's this one place where uh, reality and fiction blend into each other in a really deliciously confusing way. I mean, I get it. 
like after the scene is done but while it's happening i'm like damn what the hell um where she's the actor who is um so she's in the show and with these two other actors and we recognize them at this point and uh she's being interviewed by uh uh one of the actors that is playing one of the investigators and yeah one of the detective ladies. and it's basically um what she's saying is she's like, oh, uh, uh, what Mima is saying is like, oh, my name is Mima. I used to be a pop idol, but now I'm an actress, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, uh, the detective slash actor, depending actress. on how you want to think about it, um, is basically says, yeah, she she has this um, this uh, split personality, basically, where she yep. she thinks she's a she's she thinks she's an idol. But yeah, that scene, that scene is really affecting, especially because she's talking to herself in the mirror. There's a lot of mirrors and reflections going on in this movie, and I fucking love Yeah, it. and then we get a rewind, and basically, like, this, the whole scene is played out again, but except, you know, the script is what it actually is, and not, yeah, um, not basically not me, a manifestation not me, like, of, of yeah. Mina's anxieties, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that scene is so... I, I, I feel like... It's so interesting, because we... I, I feel like that is distinctly a, a representation of Mina's anxiety. She's like... Am I who I really am? Um, am I fucking losing my mind? I, I keep losing time, and I think I'm killing people, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, because she finds she finds the bloody big body pizza uh, clothes in her closet, uh-huh. and like, oh shit, I gotta hide those. Uh, 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 yeah, uh, hide those. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it like, but at the same time, it also her anxieties parallel the actual conclusion of this movie. And a really crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's uh, this this overlap with reality and hallucination that's um, really reality. Really interesting. Well, reality, hallucination, and fiction because like obvious like the the double bind like script is uh, is like somewhat prescient of what's happening to Mima in real life, and also her hallucination. Right. Yeah. And we don't really know how much of that is like like one influence in the other or vice versa like is is Mima's time on double bind I mean Mima's time on double bind is obviously influencing her hallucinations but like to what extent mm-hmm. um oh it's just so good mm-hmm. and then so they finish filming the show and yes. they're gonna do like an after party and mm-hmm. uh Mima gets a little lost on the way yep. <laughs> she gets well she gets fucking grabbed by mean mania um and basically like chased down the hall and like assaulted by him until she slams him in the head with a hammer um and and like every the the fucking dead stop in that scene is so jarring because it is an overload the soundtrack is becoming cacophonous and like all the visuals it's just like rapidly cutting you see her grab this hammer and it just like clonks on the side of his head and just everything stops right and it is so effective it is so impactful you feel the hit of that hammer as an audience member with zero foley work. for sure yeah it's 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 was well, you know it's good also i feel like you can do that shit so much better in animated movies than you can in live mm-hmm. action um yep well you just can stretch reality so much more in animated movies than you can um which i think it, why this movie benefits so much more from being in the medium that it is you know yeah um, um and I, it's around this point that i realized that like there's a like 
obviously this is Cohn's doing, but like uh, a quote from Inception specifically stuck out to me, which is like the the part where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio takes Ellen Page into the dream for the first time, and he's like, "How do you how do you know you're in a dream? It's because you never you don't remember ever getting how'd you get here, right? And like a lot of Satoshi Cohn's scene scenes do not like have a beginning or an end it's just kind of like the characters are in media res a lot of the time yeah for sure and it's just like you are there and that is part of the reason that it feels so liminal because there is no lead up or like lead down it's just like you're there and that's not true obviously for everything like obviously he turns that on and off when he wants to but i think that's one of the reasons that he is so effective at that yeah um god i miss him (laughs) well you know what he has a lot of great he's he's definitely made his impact Oh, absolutely. Um, like, fuck Darren Aronofsky, but... Um, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, but Christopher Nolan. You want something really funny? Hmm. Are you at all familiar with the anime of Birdie the Mighty Decode? Uh, vaguely. I... This, isn't, this, is, this is relevant, I promise. Okay, I trust you. Okay, so Birdie the Mighty Decode, for those of you unfamiliar, it is a, uh, it was like a mid-2000s remake of a 1980s anime of, called Birdie the Mighty, or Tetsuan Birdie. Uh, It was a very, like, Ranma one-half-ass show in that it was, like, very proto-trans for a lot of people. Like, it is not often listed as second-in-command. Like, if you read a trans, if you read a manga and and it made you transgenders, like, number one was Ranma one-half, and number two was Birdie the Mighty. Yeah. Because it's about this kid who gets fucking accidentally murked by a space pop by a space cop and while his body is being reformed by her alien planet she has to they have to share a body together and there's all these scenes of like them going back and forth between birdie and the kid of tsukomu Mm -hmm. um or tsukomo and like they're just fading back and forth into that the 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 mid-2000s is one of my favorite animes of all time really impactful to me really important to me in discovering who i am as a person um but the thing is the second season had a fight scene and that fight scene was, like, cribbed whole cloth for the final climactic fight scene between Superman and Zod in Man of Steel. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh. I told you it was really... <laughs> no, it was a good way... And Z- Zack, Zack Snyder, like, it's not just, it's not just like, fan speculation. Zack Snyder has explicitly confirmed that, yeah, he watched Birdie the Mighty Decode, which is so funny to me. I love it when, yeah. I, th- I think there's something special about uh, directors being like, yeah, I watch an anime. Fuck you, I watch an anime. <laughs> I mean, like, everyone watches anime. Like, who hasn't seen a Studio Ghibli film? Right, exactly. Right, exactly. Um, like, don't be on your fucking high horse just because you don't fuck it, just because you're like, oh, I don't watch anime. It's a little te- Like, you're fucking cried at my neighbor Totoro just like the rest of us <laughs> anime was a mistake fuck you and shut your ass up I'm that guy I know you are <laughs> and I love you so me too. I'm fine but also fuck you and shut up <laughs> um. men be like <laughs> no don't silence me not make your own misandry podcast <laughs> Um. <laughs> uh, but so let's get to the climactic scene of this because um, Mima is brought back from the the, the rap party by her uh, her manager Rumi, um, who takes her to quote and to quote Rumi specifically. She says, "I'm taking you to Mima's room," and I like shit my ass when I see that. Yeah, like entirely, I shit my ass when I hear that shit. Yeah, you shit your ass. I shit my ass. But then Mima wakes up and it's like a carbon copy of her bedroom 
from the beginning because at the beginning of the movie, like she she wraps up a poster of Cham that was hanging over her bed, and like also a bunch of her fish die for. I'm not entirely sure why her fish all died. Actually, um, I think it was just like just her a manifestation, another manifestation of her own anxiety. You know, like she can't even keep her fucking fish alive, and then she has a meltdown over it. You know, yeah. That's this something about that meltdown scene that we didn't we didn't touch on the melt the meltdown scene because her seeing her dead fish like makes her fucking furious and realize that I should not have she's like I should not have done that rape scene I should not have done that and that's when the first that's the first time that uh that the the Mima in the mirror shows up and is like hey you shouldn't have done that I'm chipper and happy I'm the new Mima yeah but um one of the things I find effective about that is that she fucking trashes her room everything goes on the floor she moves to like tear down her curtains but doesn't. Yeah. And, like, I'm sure, I know that's just because, like, she's worried about being, like, viewed from across the street or whatever by, like, someone she's she's worried about going in. But I think it's a really interesting detail that she, like, goes to pull that one down and leaves that one standing. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so she wakes up in what seems to be her room, but then she realizes, no, this isn't her room. That sham poster is still up. All of those fish are still alive. Yeah. And then Rumi And also they're different wearing... fish. Yes, they are different fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Rumi comes out wearing uh, Mima's uh, uh, idol outfit. A, and, or a new one, actually. Yes, a new one specifically. And the, it's really interesting because we see um, we see Mima, basically. We see, like, Mima, it's, like, glowing light, like, radiating. And then in the mirror, we see uh, Rumi in that outfit, like... And we only ever see we well, we don't only ever see but we we mostly experience Rumi in like we know that the character of glowing Mima in the outfit is Rumi but we only actually see Rumi a handful of times because like Mima like Rumi tries to murder Mima because she wants to like be Mima mm-hmm. and she like tries to like stab her and then Mima like chokes her out and like. Rumi's face like bulges out from underneath Mima's and it's fucking grotesque and gorgeous to look at. It's it's so haunting. And like then there's this long chase scene where like Mima fucking jumps off the roof and is followed by Rumi. And it's really interesting that I I don't remember see I don't remember this from the other times I've watched it, but it really struck me this time because we see like Mima like we see like glowing we see Ruma me Rumi Mima We see Rumima. Yeah. <laughs> We see Rumima, like, dancing around and, like, just lightly prancing step by step going forward. And then in the reflections, we just see, like, this, like, heaving Rumi who is just, like, dying, sweating, working her ass off to try and keep up with Mima. And there's this, there's, it's just, it culminates in this scene where, where Mima na- accidentally knocks Rumi's wig off, the wig that she's wearing to look like Mima, and it just completely destroys everything about Rumi for a moment there. Right. And she's like, she's scrambling for it. She trips into a mirror, um, and she, like, stabs herself in the stomach on a pane of broken glass, which, you know, symbolic of things, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> I can't get into it now because we're already at 55 minutes in this podcast. Yeah, you can imagine. You're all intelligent. <laughs> yeah. Um, she, like, wander. She, like, she's now bleeding out. She wanders in the middle of the road and, like, a truck is oncoming and Mima goes and, like, dives to save her and they both survive and it's, yay. Yeah. Um, and, it- and then the movie ends with uh, nice, uh, a little coda at the end, which is, um, 
uh, Mima showing up at the mental hosp at the, uh, the 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 mental institution to visit Rumi, who still like thinks that she is Mima, but sometimes is Rumi also. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Mima like leaves her flowers and stuff, and then one of the nurses comments as Mima leaves and is like, "Was that really Mima Chan? I, uh, I think that was just a lookalike." And then Mima in the in her car looks in the mirror, and says, "Nope, I'm the real me." And that's the movie. And that's the way the movie ends. Yeah, it's good. No, it's super good. It really is. It really is. Like going like based on the other content in this movie, I kind of always feel like this movie is about to like pull the rug out from under me and be like actually she was the she was the like the crazy one all along and she's in the but it's just like a it's a hopeful ending. Yeah, it is. Um it's I mean it's definitely about um a lot of things. <laughs> Hey, yeah. let's open this. It's, it's about a lot yeah. of things. This movie, this movie is extremely about the ex, the the self self identity and also the exploitation of the female body by the entertainment industry. For sure, um, um, specifically the idol industry, which is like its, yes, absolutely own, its own beast into and of itself. But like this just obsession, this twenty four seven, and um, like it, it's gotten worse in this information age, in which like the the fans are always a fingertips length away from their favorite idol celebrities. And just this commodification of female bodies in this culture. I mean, it started to expand. You know, it's all it's all about equality. So now male bodies are being quantified too, which is why you see like all those posts about Jay Hune from BTS as like a, a cow getting his titties sucked or what the fuck ever. Yeah. <laughs> that incredibly cursed content. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Do there's someone in the forums on on uh, Mima's room who's just like talking about that shit? Um, if there is, I totally missed it, but I tr- <laughs> trust you. <laughs> It's canon. It's in there. Sure. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta squint. <laughs> we see what uh, we want to see, Sarah. Yeah. But God, I just on a scale of zero to five, uh, big body pizzas. How many pies are you giving this bad boy? Because I'm giving it a full five. Oh, for like, sure. Easily. Oh, for sure. This is one of my favorite uh, Japanese animated movies. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of my favorite movies. Like, oh, that too. But I, to, if to like, be this specific, and, yeah. This and Paprika are both in my top ten. I think. I think. I gotta think about that, actually, because it's been a while since I've seen Millennium Actress in Tokyo Godfathers. Millennium Actress is fucking good. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, this movie is in my top 20. I can guarantee that. <laughs> There's a lot of good movies, is the thing. <laughs> There's a lot of good movies. Um, But uh, you want to go into recommendations? Uh, sure. Um, You go first, though, because I forgot this is a segment we do on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um... My recommendation this week is going to be, um, you know, I've mentioned it a thousand times. I'm going to say go watch Paprika. Um, it's, I think it's, it's, I think it's Satoshi Kon's best film, um, easily. Like, I love Perfect Blue, I love Millennium Actress, I love Tokyo Godfathers, but Paprika is just on another level. Susumu Hirasawa is a fan. When you listen, when you watch the movie, you will know what I mean when I talk about how he and Susumu Hirasawa worked together to create those liminal spaces, because I think Susumu Hirasawa was a was not not a necessity, but certainly a strong backbone to Satoshi Kon's career and the impact of his films. And I think Paprika is just exemplary of that. The animation is gorgeous. Every single thing about that movie is phenomenal, and I really wish it was scary enough for us to watch here. <laughs> um, you could just watch it on your own, though. I mean, I, I can't do that, but I can't talk about it here. That's true. Uh, you could just call me up on the phone, and we'll just have our own chat about... Uh, paprika. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm down. Um, <laughs> Maybe a bonus episode. Yeah. Shit. Um, Speaking of bonus episodes, do we want to tease that thing? 
Uh, oh, maybe. What are you talking about? Uh, it's something, well, it's something that we are considering, um, that we have pl- vague plans to do, but is not actually underway yet. So I feel um, tentative about um, committing verbally to it. Let's commit verbally next week. Okay. <laughs> well, or, so I'll cut that. Um, or don't. Maybe we'll just leave a little delicious little uh, maybe <laughs> for our listeners. Um, shit. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend. Um, I just finished um, Counterweight, and I'm diving back into Marielda and my friends at the table re-listen. Um, and I, I feel like I can more honestly recommend the podcast now that I'm giving it more connect, like a more committed listen. Um, Counterweight kicks ass so hard. Like it's like for, this is coming from someone who has negative interest in mech animes. Um, and uh, from a, a tabletop role playing podcast that deli- deliberately references uh, mech animes all the time. Um, it makes me want to watch them. I'm going to be real here. It's so compelling. Um, it's some of the best uh, uh, role playing on podcast. Um, Friends at the table, good. I guess is the moral of my story. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fear Bidding. Thank you for listening to me just fucking mark out for 50 minutes. <laughs> but listen, Blair's Blair's gotten to do it so many times, so every once in a while we get a, we do a movie that's just all about me look i like this movie too i think we're on the same i know like i here. know but like, this, <laughs> like this is my like satoshi kone is my like my that he's my fucking guy yeah yeah mm-hmm. like satoshi kone films were my special interest for like six months in high school and like that never that that interest died down it never went away sure, yeah um oh, but thank God. you so much for listening uh we will catch yeah. you next week with uh I'm gonna I'm gonna say this uh, uh, something with this. We'll say, well, save it for the end after all the sh- after all we okay, do all okay. our uh, plugs and shoutouts. <laughs> so uh, first of all, thank you to all of our patrons. Patreon.com/slash/fearbidding. One dollar a month gets you access to any and all of our bonus content. Five dollars a month gets you uh, your name right on the show, and also you get to send us a message. Send us a message, folks. Uh, and ten bucks a month you get to make us watch a movie. It has to be scarier than The Love Witch. Um, and we also shout you out. Uh, thank you to Michael Kaiser, Paul Moran, Kit Spindler, Paul Bechtel, and Sophie. We love you. Yep. Uh, we're on fear baiting, uh, well, pretty much on Twitter and that's it. Uh-huh. I mean, we, we do have a, we do have a Tumblr, but that website's going to be gone. And we talk about Jason, Jason Voorhees' fat titty too much to. <laughs> He's just the one. Just the one fat titty? He's only got, he's only, he's got like one, Jason Voorhees averages like a B cup, but he's just got one giant titty. In my dreams, though. In my dreams, he has the biggest titties. No, 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 the singular titty. Like, he's, he's hanging like a D cup brain on one side. Don't like that. <laughs> um... Like, like I said, he averages a B cup. His left side went flat as a board. Right side, anime size. Mm. <laughs> He's one half mega milk. And that's why he kills yeah. people. Um, <laughs> to become the full mega milk. Yes. <laughs> uh, if you want to find me, uh, I am at SunHatGenia on Twitter. Or, uh, nope. You can also listen to our uh, sister podcast, The Wonder Yorks, where Blair, Seda, and I talk about Animorphs. Uh, it's a fucking great 
books. I love those books so much. Yeah. Uh, you can also listen to me on Henry Kissinger's Pokemon Going to Die, the Leftism podcast where we recently added two new hosts. Yeah. Uh, Roy of this show and uh, Alex Leafcrunch, who I want to have on someday, but haven't had a chance to get her on yet. Yeah. Um, if you want to find me online, you can do so at Blurkitch on Twitter or basically anywhere else. I have complete brand consistency. Um, mm-hmm. And LinkedIn.com slash Blurkitch. Yeah, something like that. Um, if uh, And thank you so much to Noise Space for hosting us. Uh, you can Yes, thank you. You can check out the rest of the podcast there on that network at um, Noisebase.xyz. Noisebase. We're legally required to say XYZ because it was made by a Canadian. Uh- <laughs> Canada's fake. Um, Canada is fake. <laughs> um, uh, one of my fr- in one of, in the HKIP server, one of my friends has a habit of calling uh, Canadian dollars CAD. He calls them cuckass dollars. <laughs> well, that that makes the thing that I just said way more polite <laughs> in comparison. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but yeah. yeah. Um, hey, catch uh, us next week. Um, we'll oh, yeah. Uh, thank you, as always, to Seda for our incredible intro, outro music. Yeah, you, uh, thank you so much. Gay goth vibes out online. We love Seda. Patronize them um, uh, with your money. Um, uh, yeah, and we will catch you next week with uh, the Netflix movie uh, Cam, which I feel like is in a similar vein. To I this am so excited that this was your pick. <laughs> you know, I was going to make it my next. If you didn't make it your pick, I was going to make it my next because I still haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it. It's so good. It's going to blow your mind. And it's going to blow all Talking your about do- all Speaking your mind, of doppelgangers, <laughs> what is this? What is this? A theme month? <laughs> well, I just, you know, I was struggling thinking, like, what am I going to say? Is it going to be our next movie? Then I was like, oh, of course. It's the one that made me um, directly think of the movie we watched this week. So, uh, yeah. Hell yeah. Um, I would not say not to... So catch... Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> uh, thanks for your thanks for your patience with our inconsistency. We've just been... Blair's been moving. I've been in hell, so... Yeah, um, but now I have stable internet, so things should be really smooth from here on out. Unless I continue to be in hell. Yeah. Um, you never know. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but until next week, uh, I'm Sarah. I have been Blair. And remember... You can put a fucked up guy anywhere. Good night. Damn.